Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Ricardo Tull. Ricardo works for the Department of Behavioral Health in Philadelphia and leads the CRAFT program in their community. Now, CRAFT stands for Coordinated Response to Addiction Facilitating Treatment. That's kind of a mouthful, um, and we'll get into what that really means in just a minute. So, Ricardo, welcome. Uh, Good morning, Greg. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Uh, Beautiful. So, First of all, all, I'd like to... uh, Thank our commissioner, uh, Dr. Arthur Evans, commissioner of the Department of Behavioral Health, for for allowing us to implement uh, this exciting program in the community in hopes of reducing the rate of overdose in Philadelphia. Well, I tell you, that's certainly an innovative program, and it sounds like it starts, it kind of revolves around a successful program that you've had in your community for years and years, and that's your needle exchange program. Uh, yes, we operate a syringe exchange program in Philadelphia uh, that's run by the organization Prevention Point Philadelphia. They've been in existence for 25 years and are the only officially sanctioned syringe exchange program and harm reduction service center in the region. So you've piggybacked on top of that, and, and so instead of making the drug addicts seek out treatment, you've come up with a unique program to bring treatment directly to them, leveraging the success of your syringe exchange program, and you call that CRAFT. So can you outline how CRAFT works for us, Ricardo? Uh, Yes, absolutely. CRAFT stands for Coordinated Coordinated Response to Addiction by Facilitating Treatment Project. And CRAFT is uh, a program that's been in existence since about 2006, uh, particularly in light of the heroin opioid epidemic that has occurred in Philadelphia over the past 10 years. So we have actually implemented this program in conjunction with Prevention Point in the community. And our goals are threefold. Number one, we're targeting folks at highest risk for heroin opioid overdose and some of the city's most vulnerable residents, including people who are homeless, impoverished, uh, living with other illnesses, but actively using drugs on a day-to-day basis. basis. So we're targeting chronic substance abusers. We're also 
attempting at this point to reduce our rate of heroin opioid overdose in the city. And I'll talk a little bit later about um, some of the statistics that are going on here in Philadelphia. And our final goal is to remove any barriers that may prohibit access from somebody going to treatment when they really need to and want to. Excellent. So how does it work? Can you, can you outline that? I understand the goals. Yes. There are actually four basic elements to the program. Number one is assertive outreach and engagement, where we conduct outreach with people who are actively using drugs in the community and offer them treatment if they're ready, willing, and able to engage in that process. We also uh, effectively screen people and assess them and do some care planning to help them gain access to the behavioral health care system in Philadelphia. The third element is unconditional support. So even if a person's not ready, willing, or able at the time, we can continually conduct outreach and discuss issues uh, related to harm reduction with the individual and let them know treatment's available should they want to seek it at any point in time. Okay. Give our listeners your definition of harm reduction. Could you, Ricardo? Uh, the definition of harm reduction is certainly reducing harm associated with substance use and misuse. So making and it safer for them it, to use, basically. Right. So in Philadelphia, certainly uh, Prevention Point has been providing harm reduction services in their particular model for the last 25 years. And that goes uh, without saying they've been giving people unconditional support, allowing them to certainly exchange syringes, uh, give fresh works, providing them with wound care. What are fresh uh, works? Uh, we're talking about clean sets of syringes. And in Philadelphia, Prevention Point actually uh, distributes or disseminates probably 2 million clean syringes per year. And they also provide other prevention services regarding uh, hepatitis C and HIV prevention and the like. So really everything we're doing within the Department of Behavioral Health around heroin opioid overdose prevention really involves prevention point a great deal. The final piece of the puzzle in terms of the elements of the project is really mobilization of our treatment providers and community-based organizations to support these individuals who want treatment and other supportive services. So those are essentially the four elements that we're uh, running this program under. Okay. So you've added that extension to mm -hmm. your long-standing syringe exchange program in the community, and so now you're providing the education and screening and referral to services as, as part of that. Um, Absolutely. So maybe we can talk just a little bit about how effective that's been for you. Well, it's been extremely effective from my perspective. I mean, we'll look at the data on a week-to-week, month-to-month, quarterly basis to see what impact it's really had on the overdose rate here in Philadelphia overall. But Prevention Point essentially conducts the outreach and engagement by identifying people who are ready, ready and willing to engage in treatment and refers them to a multidisciplinary team of individuals that work with me, comprised of clinical care managers from one of our units within the Department of Behavioral Health, uh, which is Community Behavioral Health. Now, Community Behavioral Health is unique in that they manage the care of all the city's Medicaid recipients for behavioral health. 
In Philadelphia, we have about 1.5 million residents, and about 570,000 of those residents receive medical assistance or Medicaid. So we're extremely impoverished city in that regard. Um, so the clinical care managers are key to meeting with individuals to help them develop some care plans once they come um, to the doorsteps of the CRAP program. Okay. So that's one of the members of those the, the team. What are the other members of that team? We also offer people who are uh, uninsured or underinsured an opportunity to gain access to treatment through funding that we have available through one of our initiatives called the Behavioral Health Special Initiative, which will fund people for treatment if they're residents of Philadelphia County and uninsured or underinsured. So people need not worry if they're uninsured whether they can gain access to treatment because we will provide, you know, temporary funding for them to gain access to treatment while they work on receiving Medicaid. And this is another critical element for anybody who wants treatment here in Philadelphia County. Yeah. And and actually, yesterday we were talking about how you even extended that uh, outside of just your county. And you have people that come from outside of your county. How's that work? Yes, absolutely, Greg. And, and uh, when we're looking at some of the most recent data for the CRAFT program, uh, we've noticed that we see almost 13% of the folks who come through the doors for CRAFT programming are residents of other counties. For instance, Bucks County, Chester County, Delaware, and Montgomery counties are counties that outlie Philadelphia. But a lot of people come from those outlying counties in the Philadelphia to buy drugs and, and, and do other things of, of those sorts. Uh, you have to keep in mind, Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey, are high-intensity drug trafficking areas uh, designated by the DEA. And we have probably over 450 open-air drug markets, Greg, where you could virtually purchase anything, a veritable drug emporium. So we do get people from outlying counties as well as other states who Give come me. to Philadelphia. And sometimes people end up stuck. So let's spend a second on that, Ricardo, because um, this is the first that I've heard of this, a open-air drug market, you called it. Yes. Yes. Can you, can you go into some uh, description or some detail on what you mean by that? So we have uh, some sectors of the city uh, that have been dubbed the Badlands over the course of the last 25 years. In some of these sectors, you can go to any corner and buy virtually any illicit drug and prescription drug in an open-air drug market fashion where people are on the corners selling drugs to passers-by. So, you know, on our uh, map, we've uh, made a constellation of where all these open-air drug markets exist. And certainly they've been a target you know, uh, of uh, the police department, narcotics division, but they're well, easily identifiable. The people in the know know where to go to buy drugs. So, uh, you know, folks come from all over the place in the Philadelphia County to purchase drugs. And sometimes they get stuck, Greg, and they actually become homeless or at some point residents of Philadelphia County. And the county's responsibility is to care for people in the county. Huh. Okay. So um, let's see here. Let's, um, so let's go back to 
um, how you've specifically been able to support those people from other counties. You've got some vehicle whereby financially you make it viable for them from an insurance perspective. You hook them up with, uh, with Medicaid and everything that they need. How do you go about doing that? Well, one of the things that Prevention Point Philadelphia has been so gracious to do since they see a lot of people from outlying counties is help people establish residency here in Philadelphia County. So ultimately, they can apply, apply for medical assistance at one of the county assistance offices. So Prevention Points let, lets people use their address to establish residency and receive mail. They also do something that's extremely unique and important for anybody um, who happens to be homeless or doesn't have any identification. They help people acquire identification based on utilization of their address, which helps you do many things. Certainly, you could access services to a greater degree. Uh, you've established residency in the community. And it should be nothing holding you, holding you back at that point if you really, truly want help in terms of behavioral health care. Wow. Okay. So have we completed their discussion in terms of what these teams or how many, you know, the roles for these teams? Have we, have we finished that, the craft teams and... and you know, who Apparently, comprises? We have a couple other elements Good. that are extremely helpful for people uh, seeking recovery. Number one, we have extremely uh, huge and robust peer culture here in Philadelphia County. And we're helping the whole system to transform to one that's more peer-based. In fact, most of our service providers in the Department of Behavioral Health have hired people with behavioral health care problems that have been resolved. That will include substance abuse and mental health disorder to help individuals in treatment programs for behavioral health care. Prevention Point has done the same by hiring uh, recovery specialists and peer specialists to help people who are struggling with their recovery, number one, to provide them with some mentorship and to help them navigate sometimes what seems as a complex system for them to uh, get the help that they actually need. Okay. So that's a extremely important element for folks to consider when they're setting up programs to help people try to access treatment and recover. One of the other elements that we offer, uh, Greg, is uh, case management for people with substance use disorder. And that case management is a fee-for-service case management system where people can actually sign up for the service and have a case manager formally support them to get they, the things they need and want to recover in the community. So those are two other critical elements in this whole craft constellation. Got it. So basically we've got the case manager, we've mm -hmm. got the, um, the peer support specialist, and yes. then beyond that you've got your clinical care manager. And authorizations for treatment once you become a resident of Philadelphia County. Okay. So three to four people teams, right? Yes. All right. And we work uh, twice a week at the Prevention Point Harm Reduction Service Center every Tuesday and Thursday between the hours of about 10 and 3 p.m. And Prevention Point, as I mentioned, does the outreach and engagement and recruits the individuals who are ready. We do the screening to determine if people are eligible for treatment here in Philadelphia County in terms of your residency, whether or not you have medical assistance or, or you don't, 
Those are not prohibitive factors, as I mentioned. And certainly, we talk about your drug use history, uh, any medical conditions you may be uh, dealing with, your support systems, your housing situation, and try to plug you into all the support you need with an initial care plan. From that point forth, individuals are typically sent to an assessment center, which is typically a licensed drug and alcohol treatment facility or provider site where they can get official assessment uh, through a, an instrument called the Pennsylvania Client Placement Criteria, which would determine what level of care is most appropriate for that individual. Okay. Now, on the, on so, the back side, you still could have a case manager who's going to support you through that process. But when you come to see us initially, we're going to make sure we give you a warm handoff to the next provider that's going to be working with you. So we do make those initial calls. We do provide transportation in the form of uh, bus passes and sometimes uh, transport by vehicle or pick up from the harm reduction service center to the next level of care. So I think that's a critical element for po folks to consider. Sure. That warm handoff piece is essential. Yeah. Uh, so many times the handoff is where you lose people, right? Right, right. we got to make those calls on behalf of our constituents, Greg. Yeah. Okay. So um, you reach out to them not only with the syringe exchange uh, vehicle there in the neighborhood. So you've got the teams that are right there working with those that come up to the syringe exchange, but also those teams uh, they go out and they walk that neighborhood for you know a, a four to six block radius to yes, share additional point. information. So share share with us how that works. Absolutely, Prevention Point has been providing outreach in the community, uh, as I mentioned, for over a twenty five year period, and they've set up a mobile syringe exchange at six high uh, density locations for substance abusers throughout the city. So they operate Syringe Exchange Monday through Saturday. Syringe Exchange typically uh, is accompanied with a street-side health project to help people with wound care and the like. And when those vans go to the community, the outreach uh, teams typically canvas the area for so individuals who may be in need of wound care, treatment, social supports, and certainly Syringe Exchange and recruit those people to come back to the van to get the services they need and or to come to uh, the Physical Harm Reduction Service Center to receive uh, more robust services. So, ongoing cases. Oh, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yes. Ricardo. Well, that's typically how things uh, pan out on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, Greg, and, and certainly Prevention Point has uh, probably recruited over 7,000 injection drug users annually who are registered for syringe exchange and see thousands more who may have some other issues or needs hmm. on an annual basis. Yeah. So through the CRAFT program, you're now helping between 20 to 30 people per week, meaning you're seeing, of course, many more but you're right. actually assessing and helping people, uh, 20 to 30 people per week, get into treatment. Is that right? Yes. Yes, and that's a pretty significant number. In fact, you could actually project that out if we spent 40 hours a week 
at our harm reduction service center. Uh, certainly it would be four times as many people, as you mentioned, per week who could actually get into the treatment process. So there may be some consideration for expansion down the road, Greg. We're going to take a critical look at our uh, overdose rates on a quarterly basis to see if we've had any uh, indelible impact on overdose rates here in Philadelphia. And uh, let me just cite a little data re regarding what's happening here in Philadelphia. In uh, 2015, overdose deaths spiked in Philly. We had more than twice as many deaths from drug overdose in Philadelphia as there were homicides in 2015. Over 700 deaths, uh, about 350 homicides. So we can see the trend spiking. So one of the things that's happening from uh, the drug culture perspective is the utilization of fentanyl uh, being adulterated with heroin. So a lot of the decedents uh, that we looked at from the medical examiner's office certainly had combinations of drugs in their systems. But also fentanyl uh, increased about 636% among those who have passed away in 2015. So we have a huge problem, certainly with, with that synthetic opioid being adulterated with heroin. And it's strange because, you know, folks just don't recognize what they're getting if they, if they buy heroin on the street level. It's also all, often adulterated with other substances. And unfortunately, fentanyl is uh, killing many people. Yeah. You know, in your community, do you find that um, they flock to that when they find out that the fentanyl, oh. uh, a.k.a. the good stuff, if you will, is in one particular area, that they'll flock to that? Greg, uh, you just hit the nail on the head, man. I had uh, last month taken a, uh, a, a, a video of uh, an overdose on the street level about a block from the Prevention Point Harm Reduction Site. And folks gathered around as the emergency medical services workers actually revived this individual. Uh, he did receive Narcan. And, uh, you know, they brought him back, essentially. But everybody who was standing around in the drug culture wanted to know where he got that dope. And I found that really uh, <laughs> disturbing because, you know, this guy was virtually seconds away from dying because he wasn't breathing at the time when uh, first responders came. So, you know, you hit the mark there because people will want to know, like, you know, where's that bag? Or where did he get that dope? Yeah, that really so speaks. You have that phenomenon occur every day, and, and there are probably 10 overdoses that occur every day here in Philadelphia where EMS has to respond really speaks to the power of the disease, doesn't it? Oh, boy. It's certainly a brain disease. Yeah. Despite the fact that they're risking death, and they know yeah. that. They want the, Each the most potent drug that they can find. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So how long did it take you to both get acceptance for the program in the community and then a launch craft, would you say? Of course, this, this is an evolution, uh, well, right? It's been an evolution. It, it, it's not like it's a radical program that just came about overnight. It's been evolving over a number of years. Am I right? It certainly has. Yeah. In fact, we first rolled this, uh, this craft uh, model out in uh, 2006 when we initially had a rash of fentanyl overdoses here in Philadelphia. Um, so we started off really doing the craft from the street level solely at the syringe exchange van site level. 
So over time, it's evolved and become certainly much more formalized in a statement, uh, a staple, so to speak, of the Department of Behavioral Health. Uh, I think it's an important intervention where you could really sit down and talk to people about their behavioral health care needs in a non-judgmental, non-threatening manner and give them rock-solid advice about how they could utilize, to the best of their ability, the behavioral health care systems within any county or, or jurisdiction. So over time, it's evolved to something much more formal than initial, uh, uh, Greg. And at, at this point, certainly we'll take a critical look at the data to see if we need to make any additional modifications and adjustments. One thing's for sure, from early returns on uh, this iteration of the CRAFT program, which we uh, reestablished in December 2015, is there are so many more people of all ages that need help for heroin, opioid, use disorder than I've ever seen before. So I think we need to critically think about how we can expand our treatment system's capacity to serve more people trying to come in the front door. Yeah. And I'm sure all metropolitan areas and all over the country, folks are experiencing the same thing. Yep. So that's one critical thing we need to take a look at nationally from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Service Administration on down. How can we expand treatment capacity to provide more opportunity for people to come to the front door and get the treatment they need to recover? Ricardo, what do you say to people that say, you know, your program is just enabling people. Why are you doing that? You know, I have personal perspective, as, as do most people on this. As a person in recovery myself, I, I realize uh, recovery is not a one-shot phenomenon. Many times people recover, get well, then get sick again. So from my perspective, I think you still have to continue to offer people unconditional, non-judgmental support in hopes at some point they'll come around and want to truly recover. But without those support systems, people are only going to continue to be downtrodden by what essentially is a brain disease. So I think we have to take a critical look at it from the physiological perspective and call it what it is. It's yep. not a moral failing on my part. It's a disease of the brain. And just like any other disease of the brain, we treat. So what do you think the program's overall impact has been in your community, and how is it perceived? Well, it's a twofold uh, question there, Greg, because Prevention Point uh, can be perceived as an organization that does promote and condone substance abuse because they operate uh, so stringently from that harm reduction model and provide people with that unconditional support on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, no matter what condition you're in when you come in, you still feel uh, a warm and fuzzy feeling when you enter Prevention Point's doors. Some believe the harm reduction model is the way to go, particularly with the chronic substance abusers. But we're seeing a lot of different types of phenomenon in that, you know, users are being initiated at a younger age. Hmm. How young are you seeing, Ricardo? Well, well, Prevention Point deals with adults age 18 and over, but if you look on the street level, you'll see people, you know, engaging in, in these types of behaviors, 14, 15, 16, 
17. Yeah. So where will they turn when they become of age if they happen to survive their early initiation and experimentation with drugs? I mean, we got to have facilities that have open-door policy to let people uh, at least understand, you know, what's out there for them in terms of supports. So it's a, it's a mixed bag. It depends on who you speak to regarding um, community support for prevention point in general. But from our administration's perspective, we know we need to be on the front lines to help people understand the behavioral health care system because Philly's, you know, it's kind of complex, <laughs> but also be there to help people engage in the process and follow them through step by step. So what else should our listeners know about the craft program you lead in your community, Ricardo? Well, one of the things that's also a spinoff of the craft project has been uh, initiation of naloxone or Narcan training uh, being spearheaded by Prevention Point on, on a number of different levels. Certainly there are training, there are folks who frequent the um, syringe exchange programs in the mobile units, as well as folks who come to the Harm Reduction Service Center. But uh, an outgrowth of that has been their ability to train community-based provider organizations that may see the same individuals from time to time for service. So they will actually conduct naloxone trainings and disseminate naloxone kits in community-based settings and certainly to significant others who receive the training for their loved ones. So that's one spinoff. Yeah. But a number, number of other things are happening on the behavioral health side to coincide with what we're dealing with with this epidemic. On the state level, we're developing guidelines to reduce the overprescribing of opioids and benzodiazepines in emergency rooms and also among medical providers. So the state has set up a... Uh, database system where doctors could look at what's being prescribed for individuals seeking their care as to not overprescribe medications. All right, so that's one great thing that's happening. Yep. We're also increasing locally the availability of treatment for opioid dependence by offering more uh, medication-assisted treatment throughout our system. We have about 14 medicated medication-assisted treatment providers in Philadelphia County How many? that see probably 6,000 people. We have about 6,000 slots, and we've, we've increased those slots over time to provide more options for Suboxone and Vivitrol as options. So no longer should it just be methadone as the only option for medication-assisted treatment. I think people have to be offered uh, the full menu of medication-assisted treatment options. So they can be informed and choose the one that's most appropriate for themselves. Sure. We're also uh, expanding our ability to assess people since more people are trying to get in the front door. We're uh, drafting a request for qualifications to add some behavioral assessment centers, particularly in those communities and zip code areas that are hardest hit by this epidemic. So we can further do more community outreach and engagement, get people to the assessment center door, and subsequently in the treatment. So you're, you're adding more staff? Uh, adding more centers or hospital-based facilities 
that can do assessments uh, initially when people are trying to access treatment. Gotcha. Speaking but of when they're working on right now. Okay. Speaking of when they're trying to access treatment, that's one of the challenges that we have, and that mm-hmm. is detox beds. Um, yes. Not enough of those. And I understand mm-hmm. you've got a similar, uh, you know, a challenge there. You know, when when somebody wants uh, and they're seeking help. You need to give it to them right now. But if you don't have detox beds available mm-hmm. and you've got a wait list, that causes a real problem for you. In your particular yeah, community, so how do you address somebody that? somebody at risk for overdose, you know, if I get to the front door and then you tell me to wait for a detox bed, well, we know detox is principal and primary to my recovery right now. So it does pose a problem. But as I mentioned, Greg, we're, we're trying to funnel more people than ever before into that front door. So the system has to uh, consider how it can expand any system, how it can expand its capacity to serve more people. So one of the things that that has happened and will continue to happen here in Philadelphia County is we may use acute uh, psychiatric beds for people who need detox when detox beds are unavailable. We only have a limited number of detox beds, and certainly on any, any given day, they all could be full. So the system's looking at some other options to provide people uh, that cert- certainly that level of care when detox beds are full. So, but you've got a uh, some means to expand the number of detox beds, in essence, that you're offering by going to a different class, I guess. Right. Of, right. And and utilizing these acute for, psychiatric. Per se, but for for the intervention that's indicated, which would be detoxification, we can find some bed space. But surely as you pour more people through the front door, even that capacity will run short. So I think everybody who's critically planning services to uh, decrease the rate of overdose in their communities needs to take a look at that phenomenon and their capacity to serve people. Because once you get them to the door and they're ready, will enable, they have that motivational moment. It's nothing like telling people we don't have a bed. That is one of the most discouraging things that could happen to anybody who really wants help at that moment. Yeah. So I think we all need to think critically nationally about how we could have more detoxification beds when it's indicated for people who want help right now. Well, Ricardo, I want to thank you. This has been very enlightening. Um, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, yeah, just a few thoughts. Uh, now, I think we need to look to each other, just if, just as you have reached out to us, Greg, for uh, innovative solutions and or best practices to deal with the phenomenon that is sweeping the nation. Um, certainly, nobody is working on this or should be working on this in isolation. I mean, we should be looking certainly uh, to, to our funders on the national level, Centers for Disease Control, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, Health and Human Resources for options to expand our capacity to serve people uh, because far too many folks are dying of accidental heroin opioid overdose in each and every community throughout the country. So I would encourage people to take a look at um, the Department of Behavioral Health and Intellectual Disability Services here in Philadelphia by maybe uh, tagging www.d bhids.org to see all the phenomenal things we're doing in Philadelphia County 
to transform our system to make it more user-friendly for the individuals that we serve. Give us that again. Uh, that would be uh, www.dbhids.org. D is in David, B is in boy, H is in Harry, ids.org. I would also encourage people to take a critical look at uh, Prevention Point Philadelphia's website. Uh, they've been in existence for the longest period of time and have been nationally and internationally recognized for their harm reduction service approach. The Department of Behavioral Health here in Philadelphia stands firmly behind, behind them and funds and supports them, and monitors them. And uh, they're our community partner uh, in this epidemic. Their website is www.pponline.org. That's pponline.org. So that could provide some folks with a backdrop if they're considering setting up programs similar to what we have here in Philadelphia. Um, to help their communities. Outstanding. Anything else? Uh, Greg, I just appreciate the opportunity to meet you and you know uh, speak to your audience about what's happening here in Philadelphia, and I look forward to working with you in the future. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you, Greg. We've been visiting today with Ricardo Tull, who works for the Department of Behavioral Health in Philadelphia and leads the CRAFT program in their community. CRAFT, which is Coordinated Response to Addiction by Facilitating Treatment. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.